Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's June 8th, 793. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. It's fair to say that the first few months of the year 793 were pretty worrying times, with chroniclers recalling that immense whirlwinds, flashes of lightning, and fiery dragons were seen flying in the air. Honestly, dragons, never a good sign. And then on this day, according to the Anglo-Saxon chronicle, heathen men, specifically they're talking about Norsemen, came and miserably destroyed God's church on Lindisfarne with plunder and slaughter, which is a fairly terse entry for an event that heralded the start of the Viking era. Yeah, heralded the start as we learn about it now. When you're taught about the Vikings at school, you know, the Vikings attacking Britain, you're taught about Linda's farm, this island in Northumbria. Um, But this wasn't the first Viking attack. They had previously turned up in Wessex. The difference was this was completely unexpected and completely scandalous. This was shock and awe. This was, you are not prepared for what we're about to do to one of your most holy places. Yeah, it was actually nicknamed Holy Island. It had this major monastery on it, um, and it was associated with St Cuthbert, who was extremely popular at the time. He died about 100 years before, but he was credited with spreading Christianity in Northumbria, which was then an independent kingdom. You know, you had like Wessex, Northumbria and everything. So it really was seen as a nexus of Christianity in the, you know, until relatively recently, godless north of England. And it had this community of learned monks who were also very venerated. And partly the Vikings had shown up there because they knew that it was going to be a relatively soft target filled with riches. And on the day itself, monks were killed in the abbey and some were thrown straight into the sea to drown and others, including children, were carried away as slaves. Uh, And church treasures were then plundered. This was the reason that they'd come there because Mm. it was a very rich place. It had seen gifts from kings and seniors in the church. And so it had a lot of not just relics, actually, but also gold and silver and goodies. Yeah, it was perfectly located as well, isn't it? It juts out (laughs) into the ocean, so it's a convenient stopping place. Everyone there is literally defensive because no one attacks a church and then that in itself once you've done your smash and grab you also then have created a bit of propaganda for yourself as heathens and of course to christians that's exactly what vikings were but they could have been called norsemen if they hadn't come in and done something quite so bloodthirsty and scandalous as this it really underlined the fact these people have a different belief system to us yeah and then news from the event spread really quickly across europe and obviously fear with it and soon children all across christendom were reciting a new prayer which went a furore nominorum libera nos domine which is free us from the fury of the northmen O lord so you know this was just a terrifying event that mm. really shocked the entire uh, christian world 
particularly because at this time it was common for Christians to interpret acts like these generally as being divine wrath, you know, harsh but fair punishment from God. Whereas Lindisfarne was obviously this highly symbolic Christian community. And there's a sort of existential undertone to some of the writings around this. What could this community possibly have done to invoke the wrath of God? Mm -hmm. We see this in an account from Alcuin, who was a Northumbrian cleric and scholar who at the time was living in Europe in the court of Charlemagne. And presumably he'd heard about this secondhand from a witness. So he wrote to the bishop, never before has such terror appeared in Britain as we have now suffered from a pagan race. The heathens poured out the blood of saints around the altar and trampled on the bodies of saints in the temple of God like dung in the streets. And then he urges him to examine his conscience to see if the monks could have offended God in some way. And the reason that Lindisfarne was seen as so holy sort of before it had a chapel on it, like if you like the reason the chapel was put there was because it, you know, even if you're of no religion, it feels like a place when you go there that has that spiritual, impressive, awesome quality to it. It's mm. stranded out from the mainland, but is also connected to the mainland by, um, what's it called, like a coastal path that floods. Yeah. So you, you can go out there and then you're stranded there when, when the tide rises. So it mm. has this otherworldly presence, you know, to a population that had never travelled outside their own country. It was kind of like, if it can happen here... It can happen anywhere. And so I think that feeling that God must have wanted this to happen in some way must have been amplified by that because God had created this incredible place that everyone agreed was the most beautiful local hotspot. Well, there was a dark secret as well, and historians think that Alcuin may have possibly been alluding to this in his letter to the bishop when he urges him to examine his conscience, which was that Sitka, who was an Anglo-Saxon noble and had been one of the conspirators in the murder of the Northumbrian king Elfwald, had actually been buried at Lindisfarne six weeks before the Viking raid, even though not only had he killed the king of Northumbria, he had also killed himself. And so there was this unspoken fear that by allowing a regicide and a suicide to be buried on holy ground, both no-nos at the time, they could somehow have evoked God's wrath. It's telling, by the way, that we're doing a lot of the recounting of this story from the perspective of the victims rather than the Vikings. <laughs> and that, of course, is because... Viking the- apologist, <laughs> Well, we do think of the Vikings still as these quite brutal people, in part because they didn't tend to write things down. They had an oral tradition. But also it's unfair to characterise Vikings as solely these raiders. The Old Norse word vikinga does mean pirate and viking was the activity of raiding in that Old Norse language. Sound like good guys, Arian. Well, okay. But How are you they going to turn this around? Well, because they, they weren't just the, these Vikinga. They were actually an agrarian society back in Scandinavia that laboured and farmed and traded and all of that. It's just that they also had these piratical people and literally did their Viking. But I think our view of them is often coloured by this sense of the threat felt by the Christian victims and mm. them as these pagan invaders. And even from the beginning, there's this complexity to the interactions between the Viking raiders and the Anglo-Saxon people because the languages at this point were close enough that you could have some sort of rudimentary communication. And even before the Lindisfarne raid, this same this same guy I was talking about earlier, Alcuin, had written a letter to King Ethelred complaining that Northumbrians were aping the hairstyles of the Viking raiders. And the Viking hairstyle, at the time, Anglo-Saxons usually wore their hair long. And the Vikings had this kind of business in the back party in the front hairstyle that was obviously appealing. So- a mullet? <laughs> reverse mullet. Yeah, basically a reverse mullet. And so that obviously caught the eye of the local folk, which just tells you that the interactions obviously weren't limited to a bunch of Vikings rushing off a longboat, stealing everything in sight, killing people and then going away again. Even before the Lindisfarne raid, there must have been some kind of 
almost a friendship or a distant awe. Also, they were said to be pretty charismatic people and obviously very fearsome. You know, they ran into battle and sailed happily into the unknown without any kind of hesitation. And their religion had built into it this idea of, you know, the reward that you would get for dying bravely, which would see you taken to Valhalla to sit with Odin and so on. You know, there was something quite impressive and... I want to say nihilistic, but that's not an impressive quality. But at least devil may care about them. And maybe that was what kind of inspired, at least inspired fear. But there must also have been this sense of like, wow, they're an impressive group of people, albeit they're coming to slaughter us. (laughs) (laughs) And coming to a really vulnerable point as well. I mean, I guess you can think more fool you for not having defended all your jewels that you've got assembled in this holy place more robustly you know, not having thought that you might get invaded. But at the same time, it's sort of easy pickings once you've decided to invade there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and that's why future raids did at first concentrate on other monasteries. You know, they were isolated for the most part. They were full of scholars who probably weren't very heavily armed. And as you said, Arian, they were full of goodies. So the next year they returned, they raided Jarrow Abbey. The year after that, Iona Abbey on the west coast of Scotland. And then they just did Iona Abbey again. And then they did Iona Abbey a third time. And eventually the monks just left. They went to Kells, home of the famous Book of Kells. I mean, presumably in between, there were some signs that went up that said things like, you know, no scepters kept here overnight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no Vikings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crossed out horned helmet. Uh, <laughs> but after all of this time raiding, and I think we do tend to think of them as pirates, they led this army that became known as the Great Heathen Army. This was 50 years after the Lindisfarne raid. And three Viking leaders led this, including uh, Ivor the Boneless, which I, I don't know if it translates as terrifyingly as it was intended. Uh, <laughs> he had to be carried everywhere, but he was very frightening. <laughs> Um, But he led an army that went deep into Northumbria and they eventually marched on York and slaughtered everyone there. And they actually conquered East Anglia, Northumbria and Mercia and only weren't able to take uh, Wessex, which was the other of the four uh, kingdoms that comprised England. And a treaty was eventually signed where the Vikings took control of much of the north and east of England and King Alfred the Great uh, held on to everything else. And the reason I found interesting for why they actually led this mission in the first place was according to one of the Viking sagas, the tale of Ragnar's sons, uh, a Viking called Ragnar was conducting a raid, as you do when you're a Viking, uh, on Northumbria, but was defeated and thrown into a pit of venomous snakes. And basically to avenge their father's death, these three sons, the Vikings who led the great heathen army, eventually just smashed up most of England, which is a pretty uh, good way of avenging your dad, I'd say. Yeah, I do think that throwing someone into a pit of non-venomous snakes, like it would be scary for a a couple of minutes, but then you'd realise that nothing was happening and it probably wouldn't have the side effect. Tomorrow. Part of the outdoor program was apparently a nightly reconstruction of the destruction of Pompeii. Love the show? Support the show! Patreon.com slash Retrospectors! Part of the ACAST Creator Network.